past few years, we've heard the term free agents and been told we would all need to become one in order to succeed. The recent economic structures have helped to promote this concept as reality. Where do we get the tools to take control of our career path in the present and future? Welcome to The Career Confidant with your host, Marie Zimanoff. Marie and her guest experts are here to provide you with the tools you need to move forward and achieve your career goals. Now, here is Marie Zimanoff. Hello, and welcome to The Career Confidant, and we're glad that you've joined us here today. And you are going to be glad that you've joined us because today we have an awesome guest, Tina Everett, who is going to talk about how we can make sure that we are thinking about trauma when we are coaching our clients or if you are in career transition, how you can make sure you're addressing that trauma before you're trying to make your transition. So, Tina, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, you're so welcome, Marie. It's great to be here. This is an important topic, especially now. (laughs) Yes, yeah, because people have all kinds of trauma that they might be bringing into the workplace or a career transition, and it just gets in our way from being successful, sometimes in sneaky ways, right? We don't even know that we're um, bringing this with us to, to work. So tell us a little bit about how this applies to career work. How have you seen this come into your work? Wow. Well, um, I have a background as a mental health professional. And so for many years, I worked with couples, families, and individuals who had trauma. And as I stepped into the career development work, it's interesting, I thought I would step away from trauma, but I I didn't. Um, I really, it came with me. Uh, It doesn't, it doesn't go away. (laughs) Um, I think because of my background, people are drawn to me because I can hold a lot of space for different situations. So as I've no- what I've noticed in career development work is that trauma really shows up when people are not able to move forward and they're spinning their wheels no matter how hard they're trying to move forward or no matter how hard I'm trying to provide guidance and tools. And so I had to take a pause and sort of reevaluate my skill set and where I came from and start to integrate that into the career development work and realize that it is an integrative process. It's not different. You know, I bring mental health training with me into becoming a career coach and helping people really move forward at whatever pace is appropriate for them. Yeah, and we see this show up because people have had challenges at work, right? Maybe they've been... Um, undermined by a coworker or a boss, or they've really struggled in that process, or they might be feeling trauma from job search and rejection, and maybe they had a tough job search <laughs> the last time that we had uh, challenges in the economy. So I've, I've seen in, in my work that this comes up in a lot of different ways, and it really just kind of seeps into our work. But when when you see these this trauma, um, Tell us a little bit more about how it imper- impacts career work. Yeah, I think it might be important to set a foundation for really what trauma is. I think there is some misconception about it. And no matter, um, I mean, then I can kind of lay that into how that works in career because it shows up right when we're needing to get more visible when we're needing to take risks, maybe when we're career changing. And so things can get stirred up that are beyond just being stressed 
and overwhelmed. So if you think about it, trauma is really a physiological or an emotional response. And it happens when a person is faced with a situation, so it could be career change, career transition, career loss, that overwhelms their capacity to cope. And it takes them out of a sense of safety in the world. So there's a lot of fear there. You can think of trauma on a broad spectrum, like early in life, including child abuse, neglect, witnessing violence, disrupted attachment, and then later traumatic experiences like violence or accidents, natural disasters, war, sudden unexpected loss, life-threatening illnesses, other life events that are out of one's control and that can feel devastating. So traumas may have happened right early in life or they may have accumulated, but they're impacting the person in present time. And I think it's also important to note that not everyone will experience trauma from the same event. Right, a person has a trauma response when that event is physically or emotionally threatening or harmful to that person. There's a lot of different dimensions to trauma, so including magnitude and complexity, frequency, duration, whether it occurs from an interpersonal source or an external source. And the more trauma one experiences in their life, the more stressful experiences, just day-to-day stress, can be felt as traumatic. So that is especially with childhood trauma or having multiple adult traumas. And these impacts of trauma show up in our body. They show up in our mind, our emotions, and our spirit. And a common adaptation to trauma that I see in careers a lot is this attachment to some sort of certainty and control because uncertainty and a lack of control meant danger or even death. So a lot of times there's this grasping on and trying to control change and that is one way that I see clients of mine get stuck, really stuck in the muck. Interesting. So that, you know, all of us, as you said, maybe so address trauma differently. All of us have experienced trauma differently. And the more trauma we experience, perhaps the more reactive we are to negative stress events in our lives. Yeah, so daily stress starts to become, it it starts to overwhelm someone's ability or capabilities to cope where they're no longer operating in that state of health. So they're they're struggling in a state of survival that's fueled by fear. So some of those strategies are to dissociate from the experience, to become just numb, to withdraw emotionally, cognitively from the reality of, of what's happening. And so they're not able to make decisions. Right? It causes them to really cut off or disconnect emotionally to keep that pain well hidden so it can't escalate. It's a really brilliant way to survive, but at a cost because ultimately it really diminishes our life energy and it blocks that vital connection to someone's passion and their purpose and their meeting. So there's this sense of being frozen in time, yet the body, it still carries those emotions and those memories and those body sensations from the frightening experience the traumatic experience, the experience, remember, that overwhelmed that person's ability to cope, and that's different for everyone. So, you know, during these times of extreme stress, what happens is our inner world becomes dominated by survival strategies. They Mm -hmm. become overactive when a person is unconsciously afraid or when that deeply hidden trauma is triggered. And so that's what can happen. Here you are and you're going along, you're, you're functioning well in your life, and you get triggered, triggered by a situation that's similar. Maybe it's a similar loss, 
a transition that didn't have closure, relationships, personalities, environments, maybe even becoming a victim in the office place because you're feeling the same perpetration that you experienced before, where you lose all that sense of power to rise up and to advocate for yourself. So there are three instinctive survival responses that we're all probably very familiar with, and those are to fight, to flee, or to freeze. And with career work, these responses can cause an inability to make decisions, so we become also highly reactive to people and situations. We might develop um, a continuous disinterest or really lack of motivation, chronic negative self-talk that really doesn't go away without some pretty strong interventions, and just disorganized action. So a client might be moving in one direction, they're on this path, they're excited, and suddenly they change their mind, and this happens over and over again. So it becomes a pattern that really sabotages their ability to move forward. There could be a high level of, like, hypervigilance, a sense of alertness, or being in constant motion, that hyperarousal sense, or they could be flat, like there's no air in their tire, that, that sense of hypoarousal. They're not responsive. They're stalled. They're stuck. They're not feeling energized and internally motivated. So I, I really, I think this is common knowledge really about trauma, but it's interesting is if we're not trauma aware, we might label these clients as difficult. We might think, why can't you just move forward if you have the information that I give you? But what happens is they get overwhelmed and they either go into fight, a fight behavior, a fleeing behavior, or a freeze behavior. So I like to share with my clients to imagine that they have 100 units of coping for the day. And if you then have an experience or experiences that overwhelm your ability to cope, you've used up all of your coping units for the day. So a person who has experienced trauma or is struggling with mental health issues, they can use up to 70 units of their coping strategies just to get going in the morning and to be productive. So that's where self-care is a challenge because we tend to disconnect from our functional and our emotional needs and our personal boundaries get compromised. So I bet we have a lot of clients. Managing. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, I think we have a lot of clients right now They are coping with so many things, right? Kids at home, family members who might be sick, fear of getting sick. And so when we're thinking about career issues, those are just really on top of all of the other issues that, that people might be having. And so as you're saying, the, the coping tools or the coping pool <laughs> is already used up yeah. by the time they even get to start to think about career. Right, and having to change your career, depending on why that change came, can be a trigger in and of itself. And also just, like I said earlier, like when you're having to change your career and you're needing to get more visible and advocate for yourself and get in touch with your accomplishments, for some people, that can bring up a lot of fear because, well, what if I then find out again that I'm not enough or Mm -hmm. I get rejected you know, so there's this sense of resilience, and that is always an opportunity when we're experiencing trauma is to understand what our triggers are and to learn how to cope so that we can 
experience transformation and heal through it. But when we're working with clients who are really stuck in that, I think it's really important to understand when they're in a state of trauma, when they're not able to actually move forward. Um, we can actually re-traumatize them if we're not aware of that. And there are things we can do to, to help them regulate uh, yeah, anyway, well, we'll take a short yeah. break and then we can dive into those when we come back. So we're going to take a short break and when we come back, we'll talk about some of the practice traps and then some ways that we can move forward with clients. So we'll be right back in just a few minutes. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You know that the career landscape has changed and that you need to be proactive about managing your career. You can have the foresight, skills, and confidence you need to take charge of your career and seize opportunities. A strategic advantage and career expert, Marie Zimanoff has helped thousands of leaders like you get focused, get found, and get hired. Visit GetCareerSmart.com to find out more. That's GetCareerSmart.com or call 800-521-2080 to schedule your complimentary consultation. Today, expertise equals credibility. When you know what to do and how to do it, people follow because they acknowledge that you know more. However, stepping up in your career eventually pushes you out of your comfort zone of expertise. How you lead at those moments requires new skills. We're here to show you how to survive and thrive. Join me, Wanda Wallace, on Out of the Comfort Zone, the Voice America Business Channel. You can find more information at Leadership Forum INC. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. If you have a question or comment for Marie or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to marie at a strategicadvantage.com. Now, back to The Career Confidant. Welcome back to The Career Confidant. And today we're talking with Tina Everett about how we can do trauma-informed practice and how you can be more aware of how trauma is impacting your career change if you are in that career change process yourself. So, Tina, you just bring such a wealth of information and background here because you've been trained as a, a counselor. You worked in mental health and, and family transition and or family practice, and now you've moved into career change. So tell us a little bit more about how you see trauma showing up in career work. So there are five common ways that I see trauma show up in client intera- interactions. And so the first way is clients operating from that level of survival that I mentioned earlier, where they're not able to make rational decisions, and they tend to overreact to their environment on an instinctual level. So, you know, fighting, fleeing, or freezing. Just, it's like an overreaction to what's not really happening in reality. So often when the threat then has been dispersed, they reflect on their actions that were overreactive, but with really harsh self-judgment, and then they're just not able to move forward. 
So that first way is just operating from a level of survival, just not able to make rational decisions and think clearly. The second way is black and white thinking. This is a coping mechanism. It causes someone to react really quickly to what's going on rather than that ability to really engage with you as their coach or as their career practitioner in a collaborative way to really think through what's going on. Because again, right, they're in that heightened sense of hyperarousal or hypoarousal. So it's black and white thinking, really looking for a way to create safety. And then the third way is their attention gets narrowly focused on really low-risk behaviors and actions. And this is really just an attempt to stay safe. So a common example is someone who's con- who constantly applies for positions that they're overqualified for. And this can be a strategy to avoid not feeling good enough, right, or, or having to advocate for themselves, like I mentioned earlier, to stand out from their competition. Mm-hmm. And so this in and of itself, right, can feel threatening because, again, it requires the person to be seen. So they don't want to take risks. Right. And yeah, yeah. And the fourth is a difficulty planning ahead. I see this a lot. So when we're in a state of hyper or hypo arousal, it again becomes really difficult to plan, right? Beyond the day, beyond the hour. They're easily overwhelmed and quickly hit their stress tolerance, heading back into those patterns of behavior, driving that instinct to survive. So you want someone to plan like a week ahead or a couple months ahead or a year ahead and they just can't even plan for tomorrow. They're like right in that today. I like to use the analogy, it's like you're hiking on a trail. You're always looking at your feet because you don't know when you're going to step on that snake. Rather than looking ahead to where you're going and really enjoying the landscape around you. And you might hike right up the cliff if the trail doesn't, if the trail doesn't go to the right place, right? (laughs) Right, yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, and so the fight energy can show up, I think, when the energy gets pushed out and we, we're focused on blaming external situations for a lack of progress. Or the flight energy might show by someone job hopping or, or taking a haphazard approach, a scattered approach to applying for jobs. And the freeze energy can be a procrastination, just really being stuck with no movement. Mm-hmm. So that fourth way was just that difficulty planning ahead for a variety of reasons. And then the fifth way is just the difficulty regulating your emotions. You know, it can show up as that way to fight, to create chaos. Those clients that show up, there's always a fire to put out. There's this chaos, there's disorganization, and it's just disproportionate with what actually occurred or what's really going on, but that's the reality. So I like to think about, you know, I have to remind myself this and ask, what happened here that caused this client to cope in this way? Rather than asking, you know, why did this happen to you? It's like, what's going on? What happened? So approaching it with more of a sense of curiosity. You know, I'm really wondering why that client is having such a huge reaction to such a little stimulus and really asking questions about that to help that client regulate. And then also keep in mind, we're talking about, you know, the pandemic, people working from home, seeing clients online. Many people at home, like you mentioned, they're dealing with their normal day-to-day disruptions and distractions that are probably increased due due to the pandemic. There's more energy to manage the situation. You know, clients might not be able to be as present and focused 
or open to possibility with so much to attend to in the moment. Whether they have kids or just being home, being distracted by garbage day on a Thursday, which was my situation last week, or whatever it is. Um, And it's also important for career practitioners to pay attention to the impact that the pandemic is having on themselves, not just their clients. You know, there's an increased level of fatigue. There's less ability to feel focused and productive. Maybe we're feeling isolated and even a lack of connection with colleagues or friends and family. Mm. Yeah. And then being wanting, you know, we want to help other people with their stuff, but we've got our own stuff. Yeah, so it's like being aware of other people's stuff and then knowing how, how are you triggered. Like, well, you might have your own trauma history, and that's one of the things I'll talk about when I, we get into some of the guiding principles, but just knowing what triggers you, what do you need to stay self-regulated to be not operating in a state of survival when you come to a session with a client and not get narrowly focused and not want to take risks. So it's really interesting when when um, we're working with people that when we're not aware of the trauma, I think we can easily or unconsciously get sort of caught in their wave of survival. And then we're wondering, like, why aren't we moving this forward or why am I working harder than my client? So I, I think it's just really good to be aware of some of those common ways that can show up in your interactions that are subtle. Yeah, and then, so those are your five kind of ways that it shows up. Tell us a little bit about these practice traps. Yeah, these practice traps can certainly jeopardize that coaching process. So the first one is fixing, right? Fixing, wanting to be helpful to the point where we're disempowering our clients because we're taking over, we're doing for them what they can do for themselves. A little bit of that rescue energy, Right, I uh-huh. want to fix. I want to fix what they're not able to fix right now because they're caught in this survival energy. <laughs> that's that's number one. The second one is becoming the expert and losing that sense of collaboration, which is often triggered by maybe time pressures and the perceived necessity to provide all of the information for the client to be successful. So as an expert, we want to give them everything. If they just have everything, they'll be able to move it forward. But then we're not collaborating anymore. We forgot to pause and just be patient and be curious. Another common practice trap is just feeling overwhelmed. (laughs) This can be a result from feeling pushed, maybe both personally and professionally. Sometimes when the client situation is just so complex, that it's really hard to know where to start. You know, they just sort of backed up and they dumped a bunch of stuff out of what they're needing fixed or rescued or help with, and you're getting caught in the story. So you're feeling overwhelmed, feeling pushed, and just don't know where to start. Another practice trap is rigidity, which becomes evident when there's this belief that there's only one way for people to recover or one way to coach them in a job search or in a career transition and getting caught up in like believing, here's an example, that people need to tell their story, right? That rather than tailoring their approach to each individual. So that rigidity of like, it's got to be this way. This is my program. This is step one, two, three. (laughs) We have to do it this way, for example, rather than just really meeting the client where they're at and understanding that this process might take some twists and turns and it might take a little bit longer. 
And then the fifth common practice trap is believing that information alone can cause change. Refers to that sense that if people just had, again, all that information, they'd be able to make the changes themselves. It's reflected in that statement of, you know, you would think knowing that drinking only makes it worse, so they would stop drinking, but they're not able to stop drinking. You think if they just had positive affirmations, they'd stop the negative self-talk, but they're not able to just stop the negative self-talk. So these statements will show a lack of understanding that can sound critical and blaming if we're not aware that we're just trying to, like, dump and overwhelm them with information. And then the last well, this one is, is a... really losing... Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, the last one is just losing a- a- awareness of body language and facial expression in a session. So whether you're on a Zoom call or you're in person, this can result in expressions of like excessive sympathy or shock that can have an unintended effect on the conversation. So it can just be disproportionate. We can get too, it's like kind of getting too over-involved in the emotion or in the story. And then we're trying to treat the trauma rather than understand how trauma has impacted their process in career development or career transition. So we get, we just lose that awareness of our own body language and our own facial expression because we're, we're shocked and locked into their story. Mm. Yeah, it's kind of not a meshing that people talk about in relationships, right? We've got to be careful about how much we take on there. And as you were talking about earlier, that idea, and some of these kind of go around the idea that career practitioners tend to get even more caught up in than any other type of practitioner, right? Because we do have steps, job search steps, interview tips, strategies, and yet none of that really is going to impact our clients as much as helping them work through their stuff around any of that, right? And, and that's one of the, our challenges specifically as career professionals is stepping into the relationship outside of our expertise into the relationship to help them work through the expertise, work through the steps, but then not stepping so far into the relationship that we go beyond our competency perhaps or go beyond what's helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you'll you'll see a sign of the overwhelm maybe when you're giving them action steps uh, and they're not doing them. Maybe you lost the ability to be collaborative because you're really intentionally wanting to do good. You're wanting to give them an action step to move them forward, but they're showing up and they're not doing it. Instead, they're showing up with another chaotic situation or some disorganized thing that's going on. And when that happens repetitively, then that's, you know, oftentimes a sign that you need to refer or to have a conversation about really what's getting in the way. Let's talk about barriers and see if we can help them get resourced to figure out what are some things they can be doing alongside the career development work so they can feel successful, successful taking baby steps forward. Yeah, and making sure that we're co-creating those actions so they really own them when we're giving action (laughs) steps. That can be a challenge, too. So we're going to take another short break. And when we come back, we will dive into these practice tips that that you have, Tina. I'm really looking forward to that. So we'll be right back in just a few minutes. The 
business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You know that the career landscape has changed and that you need to be proactive about managing your career. You can have the foresight, skills, and confidence you need to take charge of your career and seize opportunities. A strategic advantage and career expert, Marie Zimanoff has helped thousands of leaders like you get focused, get found, and get hired. Visit GetCareerSmart.com to find out more. That's GetCareerSmart.com or call 800-521-2080 to schedule your complimentary consultation. Today we live in a truly global environment. Business can more easily be conducted now in almost any part of the world. How do you, as a business owner or professional, navigate the ever-changing business landscape? Tune in to Leadership Beyond Borders with host Kimberly J. Lewis. With a worldwide resource of guests, you'll find out what opportunities and challenges surround diverse and virtual organizations. Listen live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are tuned in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. If you have a question or comment for Marie or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to marie at astrategicadvantage.com. Now, back to The Career Confidant. Welcome back to The Career Confidant. And today we're talking with Tina Everton. We've been talking about trauma-informed career practice and how we can see trauma coming into the work or maybe if you're job seeking and you keep following in, falling into some of these patterns yourself, be thinking about how your trauma may be coming into your career space right now. And then, Tina, we're moving into talking about some guiding principles for trauma-aware practice. So I'm, I'm excited for you to share these with us. What are these guiding principles? Yeah, these are really important. And I have about four of them, and we can expand on them if we have time. The first thing I'd just like to say is, this to remind myself, you, everybody, like it's the career development process is ultimately about change. And when we've experienced trauma, change can often be difficult. And people will attempt to change if they believe it'll be worth it and if they can do what's required. So these guiding principles help someone drop into really believing that it'll be worth it, that they're worth it, and that they can actually do what's required. It's not going to overwhelm them, right, and they're going to fail. So during a traumatic event or an experience, safety and choice are both lost. So it's really important to recognize that regaining a sense of both is foundational to becoming a trauma-aware or a trauma-informed practitioner, safety and choice. So the first guiding principle is building safety and rapport, creating a vessel of safe communication for the client and for you. So to do that, you want to be predictable. Do what you say you're going to do, right? Have clear boundaries have clear expectations, 
And also acknowledge that there are limits to your work and really stick to them. So we would do this anyway, but it's, it's really important to, really important when you're working with someone who has um, a tendency to have a trauma state or have a tendency to go into survival, has this in their history, or you're picking it up, right? Just to really be predictable. The other one is to be authentic in your communications. And what I mean by that is really maintain that sense of curiosity to help you learn and understand how the client is actually feeling as they move through the career development process. Be very careful not to make assumptions and move them too quickly. So just maybe you're taking it a little bit slower and you're taking time to have reflections in that process. So you're really being curious and understanding where they're at. And then the other part of building safety and rapport is following through by following up. So checking in more often with how they're doing, especially let's say you've taken a pause in your work together for whatever reason, and you set a day and a time that you're going to follow up to check in, make sure that you do it. Because that person will remember that you said you were going to follow up the third week in October. And if you don't, that can actually cause a sense of, that you're not safe and maybe they don't want to come back and work with you. So it's really being mindful that you do need to maybe hold their hand a little bit more and really, really safety and and rapport, creating safety and choice are essential. So that's number one. Well, two, it leads right into two, Marie, which is really creating choice points. So with trauma, there's a loss of sense of choice in someone's life and choice is an essential part of trauma aware work. We're, when we don't have choice, it's we're sort of backed up against the wall and it can get cause that survival strategy or that sense of overwhelm. So the way to create choice points is to provide three options. So you might collaborate on the first two options. Then on the third, you might find out from the client which one feels the best, right? We're not offering judgment, just clear guidance and a perspective of choice. So oftentimes when you leave room for that third choice, they come up with an option that's more integrated and meaningful to them, and it also keeps their brain active and engaged in the process. And then leaving room for silence and for patience for their own self-discovery. It might take more time than expected. So being maybe a little less directive... So you're guiding them, and let's say you come to an intersection where there's two choices, there's two obvious choices, and then you let them come up with a third if there is opportunity for that. And almost always they do. It's magical. Can be. <laughs> and then the third, I should say transformational. The third is build a strong alliance. Now, these strategies are good for building an alliance with a client, particularly with those who've experienced trauma. Like this is common, right? Building a strong alliance is foundational, but by prioritizing your relationships, so the professionals just setting up that framework with your client and how you will interact. So this is just setting up the practice expectations in the beginning. You know, what are your no's? What are your yeses? And really stick to them. If your sessions are 45 minutes, stick to 45 minutes. Don't go to 60 or 75. That's just an example. This allows the client to feel safety and choice and then experience the edges of what's possible in your setting, whatever your setting is, whether you're virtual or, or in person. 
and also explaining your decisions. So if there's any change in your practice, be very informative of any changes to allow for choices to be made regarding any changes to the structure of your work moving forward. So if my fees are changing, if there's anything changing in our contract, just really being clear up front about that. If you're collecting payment through third party and something changes with that, just really being upfront about that. So there's no opportunity for anything to be miscommunicated. So explaining those decisions, being very predictable with how you communicate online and offline. If you're using Zoom, be really predictable with your background and the way you're presenting yourself. So that's consistent. We might not think about that. But it can really throw a client off if all of a sudden you're in a different space. They're thinking about where are you rather than just having it be consistent and predictable. And then the last thing in this about building a strong alliance is dosing, finding out the right size question for each individual at that point in time so we're avoiding overwhelm. So working with the client to find the right size action. So again, we're co-creating, like you mentioned earlier, Marie, co-creating that action. It's just the right size. It's small enough to be possible, but it's large enough to be meaningful. Don't want to give mm-hmm. them too much, and we don't want to give them too little, and that requires a really strong alliance in the relationship. And then I've got one more. Should I go on? Yes, please. Okay. Okay. The last one is knowing and keeping within the limitations of your competence, right? It isn't the role or function of coaching to work directly with the trauma. You can address how a trauma has impacted them to help develop a deeper understanding of their experience and process. And also, so if, if we said this earlier, if your own trauma is being triggered by your client interactions, then it's really critical that you establish a self-care plan to ground yourself in the moment and to best manage your triggers outside your work with that client. Seeking supervision is also very important and helpful to maintain the healthy professional client boundaries and also understanding the types of things that are going to trigger you and unsettle you and get professional help around building your own coping strategies. Yeah, having that support for ourselves is so important, right? Coaches need coaches um, or supervising, whatever it looks like for each individual, but that support system for us is so important. Yes. And knowing when to refer, this comes up a lot. You know, if your client is showing up regularly to sessions in a state of overwhelm, high arousal or low arousal, to the point they're not able to resource themselves in the session, even if you have some practices, which we're not going into necessarily today, of how to really help regulate them and ground them, if they're not able to do that, then that's a sign that you might want to refer to a mental health professional. They can assess it further. If sessions start to feel like you're getting consumed with helping them just reduce symptoms of dysregulation so they can move forward, but nothing ever gets accomplished, that's another sign to refer. And then, of course, if your client is experiencing a sudden change of appetite or sleep, energy, mood, suicidal thoughts or suicide ideation, a referral should be definitely made to further assess the client's mental health. 
Yeah, and I know that the phrasing for that can be challenging. So I would ask clients, who else did they have on their team? Um, You know, the team of people that was helping them. And most of the time they got that right away because a lot of times they already knew that they either needed to bring someone else in or they oftentimes had someone else they were working with already. Do you have any other like phrasing that people can use to bring this up? Well, in the beginning, when I establish rapport with a client before we even work, I always find out what their support network is, and that's personal and professional. And then I do a history. So if I sense that there's some trauma that may get kicked up, then I have that conversation in the beginning about, you know, I may refer you. I may, I may, we may have a conversation around other supports that you may need. Uh, but if we haven't had that and I'm sort of caught off guard, then it's it's really having a conversation around what supports what supports would help them, what scaffolding do they need to be able to move forward, um, what what types of support has worked in the past. That's helpful if they've had counseling before. And also if they haven't. So I don't know, Maria, I don't have exact phrasing, but it's really just having a a genuine conversation about it, that this is outside of our scope of work. And I'm really wanting to champion for them to be able to move forward. And I'm seeing that they're just not able to. So let's find out what they need together to be able to do that. Yeah. Well, that's great. You, in your explanation, you had a a few great phrases that people can pick up and and use in their own words and their own conversation. So this has been extremely helpful. I know a lot of our career service providers are feeling this pull right now and these resources and these thoughts just are are really spot on. So thank you so much, Tina. I want you to tell people where they can find you, how they can connect with you. And I know you've got your own podcast. So share with us your website, your podcast. How can people connect with you? Yeah, the best way to connect with me is my website, which is tinaevert.com. And then I have a podcast called The Confident Careerist where I just, my last episode, I talked about trauma and actually my own experience. So I also talk a bit more about the survival strategies that can actually show up in our professional life as, as job seekers or as, you know, professional career coaches or practitioners. So TinaEverett.com and The Confident Careerist is my podcast. Excellent. Well, Tina, we're going to say goodbye and thank you so much. And then we'll be right back here on The Career Confidant. Just going to do tie a quick little bow around this before we leave today. So thank you, Tina. And we'll be right back here on The Career Confidant. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You know that the career landscape has changed and that you need to be proactive about managing your career. You can have the foresight, skills, and confidence you need to take charge of your career and seize opportunities. A strategic advantage and career expert, Marie Zimanoff has helped thousands of leaders like you get focused, get found, and get hired. Visit GetCareerSmart.com to find out more. That's GetCareerSmart.com or call 800-521-2080 to schedule your complimentary consultation. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America 
is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. If you have a question or comment for Marie or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to marie at a strategicadvantage.com. Now, back to The Career Confidant. Hello and welcome back to The Career Confidant. And today we've been talking with Tina Evert about how we can be more informed about the impact of trauma on our career work. And it's interesting, Tina said, you know, career development is really about change. And that's true no matter what we're working with someone on or if you are a careerist, what you're working on, if you're working on job search, career transition, or just wanting to be a better leader, you probably are thinking about changing your behavior to be more effective in whatever you do. And that change is going to trigger our beliefs about ourselves. Can we do it? Are we good enough? Do, do we have what we need? Is the change really worth it, right? Is that change really worth the effort that we're going to put in? And when we have that kind of flood of beliefs, it can cause that flight, fright, fear response that she was talking about where flight, fright, freeze, where we just don't operate well. We don't transition well. We don't do the things that we need to do to be successful. And we talked about those at kind of the very beginning, right, where we have that black and white thinking. So when you get stuck in thinking, it's either got to be this way or it's not going to happen. I have to get this type of job or it's not going to work. The dichotomy of choice that unfortunately in our world is shoved at us in all ways, all days, when we get stuck in thinking about things as a dichotomy, it's usually not helpful for us. As Tina was saying, when you've come up with two options, really push yourself to think about a third. What would the third choice look like? Because that gets us to the place of being more creative. It gets us out of that black and white thinking and finding ways that we can design those for ourselves. Or if we're working with a client help them design it for themselves so that those choices don't feel pushed on us. When we feel more empowered, if you will, when we feel like we are in control, we're, we're better at, at taking that action. Now, none of us are ever in control, so we have to design actions that we feel like these are things that I can do. I can't control the outcome, but here are some things that I can do. Interesting, Tina was talking about that focus on low-risk behavior that we might be applying to jobs that we're overqualified for that really aren't a stretch for us at all, that maybe even don't want, or 
when I work with clients too, sometimes we'll see this as that going back to applying online and heavy focus on applying online instead of doing some of the other activities that they know would help them get out of that rut networking, reaching out to their their existing network, thinking about new people they could connect with, all of those activities that really move them forward in a different way they might be avoiding. And we might just think, oh, that's because they're, you know, they're lazy, you know, whatever might come to our minds. If we think about it instead of how can we help them design those actions and be curious about one, what is getting in the way, but two, what might work for them to design those other actions in a way that they would feel more safe and something that they could could take control of. The um, planning ahead, I when Tina said that, I almost laughed out loud because right now, isn't that a struggle? I've been trying to plan a conference now, it feels like for a decade, because we all the planning went into the April 2020 event that didn't happen. And now we've been planning since April of will something happen in 2021. And it's just this, it's just mind numbing, right? And so if someone's in their career transition, and maybe they've been thinking about it for a long time, maybe they've been planning it. And then all of these unpredictable, unexpected things keep getting in the way, they might have fatigue around this topic. And how do we help them move through that, move past it, find opportunities to to plan and to move forward, even though they've felt like those are those planning and that actions maybe have been futile for perhaps even close to a year now. They may have been thinking and taking steps and trying to job search or trying to do something and feel like they just don't have any control, no ability to impact change. So how can we help them take some of that that control back? Blaming the the external um, and difficulty regulating their emotions and how do we meet them where they're at and give space for that, open the door for those conversations and yet keep enough boundaries for ourselves to not get too enmeshed into that conversation and be triggered as the career service provider ourselves. When I think about a manager having to manage a team right now, probably a lot of similar things that if you are a manager, you might be dealing with, how do I handle this with my team? They might be coming at you with some of these same challenges. So first thing that Tina went through were some of those just, hey, be aware of this. And a lot of them to me very kind of cluster around this idea of fixing it. I want to fix it for you. I want to show you that I'm the expert. I I want you to fall into my way of doing it. When we start to feel that control for ourselves, uh, as a leader, a manager, parent, we know that that is not helpful. Me wanting to control you, have you do it my way, um, you know, be the all-knowing expert doesn't help the other person make that transition and make that change because they they have to do it their way. As I say a lot, I get this shoved into my face daily with a two and a four-year-old. If they don't do it their way, it's not going to get done. So me coming and trying to get him to do it my way really just slows the process down because then we're going to have to have the fight about why they don't want to do it my way and then finally have it do it their way. 
Adults do the same thing. They just do it in a different way, maybe a little more sneaky, that they say, sure, 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 I'll do it your way. But then they don't. And then we come back to that session and we figure out why it's not happening. Oh, yeah, because it wasn't their idea. It wasn't a way that worked for them from the beginning. And how can we make that different? So when we're thinking about how we work with a client, most of the principles that Tina talked about are going to work with any client. We may need to ramp them up for other for certain clients and maybe able to be a little bit more directive and move a little faster with other clients, but it really is going to be how we want to begin with clients, building safety and rapport, letting them create those choice points, prioritizing the relationship over speed, over getting it done, over being the expert, then figuring out what works for them in terms of consistency and communication, over communicating perhaps until they say, you know, hey, this is good. How do we make that connection? And then on the last note here, knowing when to refer or if you are the job seeker or leader who is struggling, being okay with seeking out other resources. And this is huge in our communities right now, our global community, recognizing the importance of mental health, destigmatizing counseling and mental health services. And if you are a leader, what a better way to mirror things for your team than to have your own coach, have your own support system, to be as open with that as you might feel comfortable in and as appropriate for your setting so that people see that it's okay to get support and it's okay to admit that we need support and that then you open that door to those conversations when someone might need that support or a referral from someone like you. I have my own coach. I've been working with a coach for years, different people, different things that I've been focused on, but always have that recognition for me, especially personally, that it's okay to ask for help and it opens the door to ask for even more help, even when you just start to crack that door with perhaps the service provider that you're most comfortable with right now. We are going to be back next week with another great guest. Going to flip to a totally different topic and be talking about getting a federal job and what that looks like. How did you? How might you start working with the government, especially as things turn over local, nationally as we get into election season? So. What's, what does that look like? That's going to be our topic for next week. If you have other topics that we can cover for you or questions, please feel free to reach out to me at Marie, M-A-R-I-E, at careerthoughtleaders.com. We look forward to seeing you right back here again next week on The Career Confidant. Thank you for listening to The Career Confidant. Marie Zimanoff will return again with another terrific guest next Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Be sure to join us then.